Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Gold, along with my co-hosts, Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Good morning. And Beth Ross. Hey, Beth. Hi. Lots of great stuff happening this week. First and foremost, while you're listening, take a look at our listener survey. Please participate. It will help us be better, make better podcasts, make content that you enjoy more as listeners. Do it, do it, do it. The listener survey. Also, a quick thanks to Beth for leading our conversation last week around Hispanic Heritage Month. I want to say thank you also to Carol Chang and Rodrigo Jatin. Uh, thank you, Amanda, for helping me plan the episode. It was a great conversation. If you haven't listened to it yet, I recommend you go check it out. And that's that. It was awesome. Now, the five things. We'll be kicking off talking about how the court blocked the White House's TikTok executive order. Amanda will be telling us a little bit about how TikTok expanded duet collaboration. This is a little bit like a duet. Beth will talk a little bit about Facebook merging messaging. Amanda will tell us about Facebook responding to the social dilemma. And then Beth will take us home and talk about Twitter expanding voice tweets. So with that, let's dive into this week's edition of The Five Things. So what would an episode of The Five Things be without us talking about TikTok? The latest uh, news on the TikTok drama is that despite the White House executive order trying to halt TikTok's operation, uh, the court has come in and said that TikTok can resume operations as normal as they work through uh, approval around the deal with Oracle and Walmart uh, to take over TikTok's US operations. Um, This is a very interesting uh, moment in time, essentially. The, the recap is, in early August, the president issued two executive orders, which outlined separate bans for two Chinese-owned companies, TikTok and WeChat, both within the US. Both were set to go live uh, within 45 days of them being issued, which would have been September 20th. However, in the days leading up to it, uh, TikTok announced a deal with Walmart and Oracle. Um, and now everything is sort of lined up in court um, as this is all being sorted out. Uh, the users are not affected by this at all, um, which I think, you know, speaks to what is happening. I don't know about you both, but I'm getting a lot of questions about brand safety on the channel, and I'm continuing to advise clients to keep using TikTok. Fleetwood Mac is back because of TikTok. I want to drink <laughs> Cran Apple Ocean Spray because of TikTok. Uh, it's back. Amanda, Beth, what do you think? One of my favorite observations about this debacle, as we talk about it every week from from a policy data privacy standpoint, is the other side of the coin. Looking at TikTok, the users on the platform, who, who they're, who's using it and how they're using it has absolutely not changed at all. If anything, there are more people using the platform. There's more conversation being had. There's this whole you know, contact tracing conversation. People are putting their resumes on TikTok. To your point, Kenny, there's all these like fun, entertaining viral videos. So we have the conversation each week about, you know, all of the nuance and detail of this policy and the administration. But to your point, the way that it's being used has absolutely not changed at all. And I think that's the important part to remember as we as we keep going through this this journey that seems to change each week. 
Yeah, totally. I would actually be really interested to look into how many people downloaded the app that didn't have it before because they thought they weren't going to be able to get access to the app after a certain date. Because it might have been like the best thing that happened to TikTok in terms of users being on the platform. Um, But I think you're totally right, Amanda. I think brands should keep using it. I don't think user behavior has been impacted at all. And this is really showing kind of that divorce between the policy side of this and the human side of interacting with the app. I think that's spot on. I also think you have a whole new generation of people who are sort of anti-Trump who are just joining to spite him. Uh, So I I totally agree, Beth, 100%. I don't want to dwell on this for too long because it's a thing that we talk about often. And I'd love to get into some of the greater, more inventive moments of the TikTok experience. Amanda, tell us about TikTok expanding duet collaboration. All right, this one's fun. So TikTok has a feature, if you're not familiar, called duets, where you basically um, post, a user posts a video, and then other users can add on to it or layer their own songs and videos over it. So it's become wildly popular. There's a lot of viral moments that have come from it. If you guys have seen the grocery store musical, for one, which is absolutely hilarious. It's just this very long and dramatic um, song that I think over 500 people have duetted with. It's it's hugely popular. So this week, TikTok announced um, some new options on how people can collaborate, how they can co-create together, whether you know it's someone that you know or, or a content creator that you follow. Um, and I... I think not only is this speaking to how much people want to interact on the platform, it's not only a singular broadcast platform, it's talking to how they want to really pull people in to engage in a different way. When you look at things like like Twitter and Instagram, you have, you know, your kind of standard engagement of, of likes and comments and conversation, which is ab- ab- absolutely perfect for those platforms. But on TikTok, it's important to remember, like, people don't necessarily engage that way. That's not the behavior. The behavior is making content, having fun, singing, filming yourself, doing all of this like very creative kind of, um, you know, making making content. And and just one thing I'm going to note is Facebook has already copied this feature onto their platform. So it's clear that there's something very interesting here that I, I think will be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, have you guys seen any great duets? Okay. I'm obsessed with Charlie Puth. Uh, this is so random, yeah. but like I absolutely adore Charlie Booth. I find him to be so charming. And uh, his duet game on TikTok is next level. It's so much fun. And he is so talented musically. I'll never forget he did a video a while back with MasterCard um, around the Grammys where he talked about perfect pitch and how he has perfect pitch. And he's just so charming. And he goes on TikTok and he actually like releases sounds and duets with people all the time. And I think it's so much fun. I'm so with you. I love Charlie Puth's duets. I think his voice is like magic. Um, But I think this is just such a cool way to use the platform. And I know, Kenny, you talk so much about co-creation and co-creation with brands. And I think it's really interesting and also kind of lovely that um, this app is letting people get out of kind of that singular creation and connecting people worldwide to be able to create together. It's so cool. Yeah. And it's such a new way that I think, you know, we're, we're in 2020. World's weird. 
And I think for brands to start to expand how they engage with their audience, like, I mean, Chipotle just crushes TikTok. They're making new content every week and, and they have a duet, for instance, that's promoting one of their new menu items. And the fact that you can not just announce that you have a new menu item, but invite people in to make content with you is is entirely brand new. It's it's amazing. And it's just such a refreshing conversation versus, versus kind of broadcast. Guys, while you listen to this podcast, just know Amanda will not go hungry. Her groceries have arrived. With that, <laughs> Beth, tell us a little bit about Facebook merging messaging. All right. So we we kind of teased this a couple episodes ago. Maybe it was a month ago. I don't know. Time is not linear anymore. Um, but Facebook has taken the step to merge its platforms between Instagram and Facebook. So this is rolling out with a select group of users. Um, and essentially, Messenger and Instagram message can now connect app to app. So you can send someone from Instagram. If you're on your Instagram platform, you can send someone a message on Facebook and vice versa. Um and then Instagram's also getting just a major overhaul of the DM system in general. So there are new Instagram messaging tools, which I think Facebook is hoping will sort of entice people to uh, opt into this feature because you can opt out and not let your messaging on both platforms connect. But the new tools include vanishing messages, selfie stickers, custom emojis. I love a custom emoji, um, chat colors, and then new ways to block unwanted messengers or messages. So I think that's interesting. And then the other big one is uh, messengers watch together feature, which would allow you to watch videos with each other and chat on a video call which could be cool. So kind of, uh, you know, stealing a little bit from Twitch. So I think this could be really interesting. It also plays into Zuckerberg's goals and dreams of becoming a communications company, not just a social media platform. But what do you guys think? Yeah, for me, Beth, I, I love... There's something to be said, you know, we don't, we're not always very positive about the Facebook here um, on this podcast, but I will say, I do really love when they try to simplify the app and make things a little bit, a little bit more seamless across the board, because it means less switching. Mm -hmm. Like all I do all day is switch between apps. And when you start to think about activation-driven thinking. Like, I want to make a messenger bot. I want to make an Instagram. No, now you get to just make it across this whole thing and it, and it mm -hmm. actually is a little bit easier. Yeah. I think there's also something nice about being able to connect with people in the platform that they prefer without having to make two different ones. So, for example, my Aunt Doreen loves Facebook, but Instagram would not be the right place for her. But I'm not usually on Facebook. So when she messaged me on Facebook, like Kenny said, you got switched back and forth. So I think there is something that is almost authentic about the connection outside of just living up to Zuckerberg's dreams of being a massive communication company. 
in the in the critiques that we have every week in in you know the social world sometimes I think what it really boils down to is like what what are we using it for and is it helping our lives and things like this help make things easier you can communicate again Beth with your family with whoever you want in a way that just feels natural and those are the types of I think news news headlines and updates that we value because it value it's you know taking the values of people that use the platform so thumbs up speaking of the values of the people who use the platform amanda tell us a little bit about facebook's response to the social dilemma all right so if you haven't watched the social dilemma on netflix um it's a documentary really trying to provide transparency i'd say on how the platforms and algorithms can sometimes take advantage of, you know, user behavior and, you know, politicize or generate revenue or all these other things that are, are not in service of the audience. Um, it made a lot of waves. I think a lot of people spoke about and probably actually deactivated their social platforms in response to it. So, of course, Facebook couldn't not release a statement in response to it. That really, it has seven seven points that it mentions in this statement about how the documentary is is wrong is the title. What the social dilemma gets wrong, but really, when you dive into the the bullets and the points that they make, there's a little bit of aversion and a little bit of the narrative that these things aren't necessarily wrong, but they're not 100 percent accurate. So they talk about data usage, al- algorithms, you know, social media addiction, misinformation, election interference. They call those are some of the specifics that they call out. And again, their response to the way that these things are are positioned in the social dilemma is more of the headline that this isn't it. This is part of it and this isn't not necessarily untrue, but there's more to it than what you see in the documentary. Um There's also kind of a jab at Netflix in this uh, statement that basically says you also make use of these algorithms that we do as, you know, a platform. There's it's reflective of society for a reason. And so therefore, the issues that come up with the algorithm are actually, as you know, we've been talking about from a mass scale in 2020 issues of society and how we interact and and prioritize what we're doing on the Internet. So. I'm surprised. Um, and I think a lot of people were surprised that Facebook even kind of jumped in on the conversation. They don't, that's not normally how they, um, you know, react to criticisms like this. It's also, I think the conversation around it is jump in if you are, if you are Facebook, if you have a big rebuttal, but this wasn't quite as, I think, aggressive of a response or at least as informational as it could have been to actually respond to that. I'm going to say something slightly controversial here. Uh, I could not get through 10 minutes of The Social Dilemma. I have tried multiple times. Um, I am just not interested in spending my personal time watching us. I'm just not. Um, You know, I, I think there is this common narrative that social media is divisive. Social media is like a drug. Um, But... There is no greater communications channel on the planet. Brands, people, political organizations are going to continue to use social media for the long term. And I believe it's time for us as an industry to talk about how we self-regulate and how we allow for ourselves to continue to be creative and thoughtful and connect with one another on these channels in a responsible way. Um, Kenny, 
I was just going to say, I don't think that's as controversial as you think, because, you know, we talk about this every week and we are in the industry that this kind of revolves around sometimes, too. And it's like talking about it is helpful and sort of interesting, but it sometimes just feels like we're just talking about it and no one's really like taking accountability, whether it's the platforms or the users or whatever it may be. And I I liked the documentary. I thought it was interesting, but I did feel it was like very one-sided and sensationalist in a way, which is the issue that they're talking about. There's this problem. It's massive and it's absolutely terrible and it's killing us. And, you know, that that is the intensity of what happens with these algorithms and on these platforms. So I don't I'm not particularly saying that it's it's incorrect in any of its claims in the documentary, but I would have liked to see a little bit more transparency into, you know, what the platforms are are doing now. Like what, what is the response to this in a way that feels at least like you're showing both sides? It, it to me felt like I was seeing, you know, the side of the people that were in the documentary and I was like craving a little bit more around like, what is the true response to that? What do you think, Beth? So I actually, <laughs> and this is probably just because of who I am. I watched that video and thought about the implications of data ethics going forward and that this is so I actually I'm with Facebook and their critique of Netflix because Netflix also uses algorithms and algorithms inherently are biased and this is something that you know when you have a tech community that looks a certain way and they are creating algorithms they're in Puting their bias into those algorithms, no matter what. It's just human nature, not bad people. Um, and I I do think it's interesting that all of these companies were started by these really ambitious entrepreneurs who had this data background, but there wasn't necessarily that ethical skew on it because not because they're bad people, but like who thinks of that when you're starting a company and it was so new and fresh. And so I think that's the interesting conversation for me, but Kenny, I do agree with you of like, all these things are already known. It's a wonderful way to communicate. And that's how the platforms were started and are intended to be used. So I, for me, they're just, they're two very different conversations. And the bigger point is how we think about making algorithms more ethical going forward. I also think you're, I'm, this is a conversation that could take up an entire podcast. I think the latest news around Facebook and Amazon and Netflix and Google uh, being accused of, you know, monopolistic behaviors. I think we're going to see an interesting reckoning going into 2021 about how these platforms behave, what their role is in society, what they're going to do with the information they have about consumers. I think everything is changing, but you can only tackle so much as a society at one time. Um, So uh, I'll be very curious to see where this goes. And now with that, I'm going to move us forward on the continuum of time to talk a little bit, Beth, about how Twitter expanded voice tweets. Yeah. So in June, Twitter made a big announcement that they now had audio clips that you could put into tweets. So imagine saying in the copy, I've got a story for you, and then being able to record a voice memo, basically, that would then be your tweet of the story or whatever. Um, it made a big splash for about 
five hours until the very valid point came up that this new capability did not take into account um, people who are deaf or differently abled that would not be able to kind of be part of this new update and in fact be excluded from the platform in some way. So Twitter, you know, good on them said, you're right. They went back, they put together two teams to start focus on improving all of its systems, not just this audio um, capability in their tweets to make sure that they were being truly inclusive. And now audio tweets are back and they have captioning on them. So inclusive, they're back. Um, I hope that, I think this could be a really cool capability. And I hope that kind of their initial misstep doesn't overtake the, the use of audio tweets going forward, because I think especially with brands, this could be a cool way to work with influencers. This could be a cool way to kind of mix in some of our messaging, music, you name it, anything that isn't just copy. So I love that. And I also think when we start to talk about um, podcasting, voice strategy, sonic branding, all of the things that are sort of becoming very trendy uh, in the last couple of months, years, it'll be very interesting to see how voice tweets tap into that. I also think when you think of brands that have had um, a very visual presence, whether it's planters with Mr. Peanut or Pringles with the Pringle guy or, you know, you know, there, you can start to lend a new element to them creatively um, when you start to see something like voice tweets. Amanda, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I'm just I've been kind of keeping an eye on this, not only to both of you guys' point from, you know, po podcasts are such a, an important part of, of kind of sharing information this year and, and in the last few years. Um, but also, you know, there is still kind of the topic of conversation that has died down a bit as far as, as trends and news where connected audio homes, devices, your phone to your Alexa, to your Siri and all the things. So I, I'm really keen to see how these things all live together and create this ecosystem around people that is truly audio based. Um, this is one small step towards it. But I think this is, you know, a, a part that in, you know, when we look back in retrospect and understand how do we eventually live in a world where we don't even look at our phones. This is incredibly interesting. And I think Twitter is is doing something that, you know, you might not expect for them to move into that space to to kind of work towards that future. Well, then. I think that's enough for today. Let me take this moment to first replug our listener survey. If you didn't take it while you were listening to these interesting five things, do it now. Why not? That'll make our next set of five things even better. You can email us with any thoughts, questions, concerns, comments at podcasts at gray.com. As always, I'd like to thank my co-pilots in this social journey, Amanda Davis. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. And Beth, thank you. Thank you. Come back again and listen to us. Why not? So with that, that's this week's edition of The Five Things. Stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. 
Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. Um, my groceries couldn't come at the worst time, but <laughs> <laughs> okay.